29th paper of The Last Day of the Condemned by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 29th paper. The priest returned. He has white hair, a very gentle look, a good and respectable countenance, and is a charitable man. This morning I saw him empty his purse into the hands of the prisoners. Whence is it, then, that his voice causes no emotion, and he does not ever seem affected by his own theme? Whence is it that he had as yet said nothing which has won on my intellect or my heart? This morning I was bewildered. I scarcely heard what he said. His words seemed to me useless, and I remained indifferent. They glided away like those drops of rain off the window panes of my cell. Nevertheless, when he came just now to my room, his appearance did me good. Amongst all mankind, he is the only one who is still a brother for me, I reflected. And I felt an ardent thirst for good and consoling words. When he was seated on the chair and on the bed, he said to me, My son, this word opened my heart, he continued, My son, do you believe in God? Oh, yes, father, I answered him. Do you believe in the holy, catholic, apostolic, and Roman church? Willingly, said I. My son, returned he, you have an air of doubt. Then he began to speak. He spoke a long time. He uttered a quantity of words. Then, when he had finished, he rose and looked at me for the first time since the beginning of his discourse, and said, Well? I protest I had listened to him with avidity at first, then with attention, then with consideration. I also rose and said, Sir, leave me for a time, I beg of you. He asked, When shall I return? I will let you know, sir. Then he withdrew in silence, shaking his head as though inwardly exclaiming, An unbeliever. No. Low as I have fallen, I am not an unbeliever. God is my witness that I believe in him. But how did that old man address me? Nothing to be felt, nothing to affect me, nothing to draw forth tears. Nothing which sprung from his heart to enter into mine. Nothing which was addressed from himself to myself. On the contrary, there was something vague, inaccentuated, applicable to any case and to none in particular. Emphatic, where it should have been profound. Flat, where it ought to have been simple. A species of sentimental sermon and theological elegy. Now and then a quotation in Latin. Here and there the names of St. Augustine and St. Gregory, and others of the calendar. And throughout, he has the air of reciting a lesson which he had already twenty times repeated, seeming to go over a theme almost obliterated in his memory from being so long known, but not one look in his eyes, not one accent in his voice to indicate that he was interested. And how could it be otherwise? This priest is the head chaplain of the prison. His calling is to console and exhort, that is, he lives by it. 
condemned felons are the spring of his eloquence. He receives their confession and prays with them because he keeps his place by it. He is advanced in years in conducting men to death from his youth. He has grown accustomed to that which makes others shudder. The dungeon and scaffold are everyday matters with him. He receives notice the preceding evening that he will have to attend someone the following day at a certain hour. He asks, is it for the galleys or an execution? And he asks no more respecting them, but comes next day as a matter of course. Oh, that they would bring me instead of this man, some young curate, some aged priest, taken by chance from the nearest parish. Let them find him at his devotional studies, and without warning say to him, there is a man who is going to die, and it is reserved for you to console him. You must be there when they bind his hands. You must take a place in the fatal cart with your crucifix, and conceal the executioner from him. You must pass with him through that horrible crowd which is thirsting for his execution. You must embrace him at the foot of the scaffold, and you must remain there until his soul has flown. When they have said this, let them bring him hither, agitated, palpitating, all shuddering from head to foot. Let me throw myself into his arms, then kneel at his feet, and he will weep, and we will weep together, and he will be eloquent, and I shall be consoled, and my heart will unburden itself into his heart, and I shall receive the blessed hope of redemption, and he will take my soul. Thirtieth paper. But that old man, what is he to me? What am I to him? Another individual of an unhappy class, a shadow of which he has seen so many, another unit to add to his list of executions. I have been wrong, perhaps, not to attend to him more. It is he who is good, while I am the reverse. Alas, it was not my fault. The thought of our violent death has spoiled and hardened all within me. They have just brought me food as if I could possibly wish for it. I even tried to eat, but the first full mouthful fell untasted from my lips. 31st paper Since then a strange circumstance happened. They came to relieve my good old gendarme with whom, ungrateful egotist that I am, I did not even shake hands. Another took his place, a man with a low forehead, heavy features, and stupid countenance. Beyond this I paid no attention, but seated myself at the table, my forehead resting on my hands, and my mind troubled by the thought. A light touch on my hands, and my mind troubled, a light touch on my shoulder, and made me look round. It was the new gendarme, with whom I was alone, and who addressed me pretty nearly in these terms. Criminal, have you a kind heart? No, answered I impatiently. The abruptness of my answer seemed to disconcert him. Nevertheless, he began again, hesitatingly. People are not wicked, for the pleasure of being so. Why not? answered I. If you have nothing but that to say to me, leave me in peace. What is your aim? I beg your pardon, criminal, he returned. 
I will only say two words, which are these. If you could cause the happiness of a poor man, and that it costs you nothing, would you not do so? I answered gravely, Surely you cannot allude to me as having power to confer happiness. He lowered his voice and assumed a mysterious air, which ill-suited his idiotic countenance. Yes, criminal, yes, happiness, fortune, whispered he, and all this can come to me through you. Listen here, I am a poor gendarme, the service is heavy, the pay is light. My horse is my own and ruins me. So I put into the lottery as a counterbalance. Hitherto I have only missed by not having the right numbers. I am always very near them. If I buy seventy-six, number seventy-seven comes up a prize. Have a little patience, if you please. I have almost done. Well, here is a lucky opportunity for me. It appears, criminal, begging your pardon, that you are to be executed to-day. It is a certain fact that the dead who are destroyed that way see the lottery before it is drawn on earth. Promise that your spirit shall appear to me to-morrow evening to give me three numbers, three good ones, eh? What trouble will it be to you? And I am not afraid of ghosts. Be easy on that point. Here's my address. Pop in court barracks. Staircase A, number 26, at the end of the corridor. You will know me again, won't you? Come even to-night, if it suits you better. I would have disdained to reply to such an imbecile, if a mad hope had not crossed my mind. In my desperate position, there are moments when one fancies that a chain may be broken by a hair. Listen, said I to him, acting my part as well as a dying wretch could. I can indeed render thee richer than the king. I can make thee gain millions on one condition. What? What? I will do anything to please you, criminal. Then, instead of three numbers, I promise to tell you four. Change coats with me. Oh, is that all? cried he, undoing the first hooks of his uniform cheerfully. I rose from my chair. I watched all his movements with a beating heart. I already fancied the doors opening before the uniform of gendarme, and then the prison, the street, the town, left far behind me. But suddenly he turned round with indecision and asked, I say, is it not to go out of this? I said, I saw that all was lost. Nevertheless, I tried one last effort, useless as it was foolish. Yes, it is, said I to him. But as thy fortune will be made, he interrupted me. Oh, law, no, on account of my numbers. To make them good, you must be dead, you know. I sat down again silent and more desponding from all the hope that i had conceived thirty-second paper i shut my eyes covered them with my hands and sought to forget the present in the past in a rapid reverie the recollections of childhood and youth came back one by one soft calm smiling like islands of flowers on the black gulf of confused thoughts which whirled through my brain I was again a child, a laughing, healthy schoolboy, playing, running, shouting with my brothers, in the broad green walks of the old garden where my first years were passed. 
and then four years later behold me there again still a child but a passionate dreamer and there is a young girl in the garden a little spaniard with large eyes and long hair her dark polished skin her rosy lips and cheeks the andalusian of fourteen named peppa our mothers had told us to go and run together we had come forth to walk they had told us to play but we had talked instead only the year before we used to play and quarrel and dispute together i tyrannized over pepita for the best apple in the orchard i beat her for a bird's nest she cried i scolded her and we went to complain of each other to our mothers but now she was leaning on my arm and i felt proud and softened we walked slowly and we spoke low i gathered for her some flowers and our hands trembled on meeting she spoke to me of the birds of the sky above us of the crimson sunset behind the trees or else of her schoolfellows her gown and ribbons we talked in innocence but we both blushed the child had grown into a young girl after we had walked for some time i made her sit down on a bank she was smiling i was serious sit down there said she there is still daylight let us read something have you a book i happened to have a favourite volume with me i drew near her and opened it by chance she leaned her shoulder against mine and we began to read the same page before turning the leaf she was always obliged to wait for me my mind was less quick than hers have you finished she would ask when i had only just commenced then our heads leaned together our hair mixed our breath gradually mingled and at last our lips met when we again thought of continuing our reading it was starlight i shall remember that evening all my life oh heaven all my life thirty-third paper the clock has just struck some hour i do not know which i do not hear the strokes plainly it seemed to have the peal of an organ in my ears it is the confusion of my last thoughts at this final day when i look back over the events of life i recall my crime with horror but i wish to have still longer to repent of it i felt more remorse after my condemnation since then it seems as if there were no space but for thoughts of death but now oh how i wish to repent me thoroughly when i had lingered for a minute on what had passed in my life and then came back to the thought of its approaching termination i shuddered as at something new my happy childhood my fair youth after so many years of innocence and happiness they will not believe in this execrable year which began by a crime and will close with an execution it would appear impossible and nevertheless oh imperfection of human laws and human nature i was not ill-disposed thirty-fourth paper oh to die in a few hours and to think that a year ago on the same day i was innocent and at liberty enjoying autumnal walks wandering beneath the trees to think that in this same moment there are 
in the houses around me. Men coming and going, laughing and talking, reading newspapers, thinking of business, shopkeepers selling their wares, young girls preparing their ball dresses for the evening, mothers playing with their children. Thirty-fifth paper. I remember once when a child going alone to see the belfry of Notre Dame. I was already giddy from having ascended the dark winding staircase, from having crossed the slight open gallery which unites the two towers, and from having seen Paris beneath my feet. Now I entered the cage of stone and woodwork where the great bell is hung. I advanced with trembling steps over the ill-joined planks, examining at a distance that bell, so famous amongst the children and common people in Paris, and it was not without terror that I observed the slated penthouses which surrounded the belfry with inclined planes, were just on a level with my feet. Through the openings I saw, in a bird's-eye view, the street beneath, and the passengers diminished to the size of ants. Suddenly the enormous bell resounded, its deep vibration shook the air, making the heavy tower rock, and the flooring start from the beams. The noise had nearly upset me. I tottered, ready to fall, and seemed on the point of slipping over the penthouses. In an agony of terror, I lay down on the planks, pressing them closely with both my arms, speechless, breathless, with this formidable sound in my ears, while beneath my eyes was the precipice, a profound abyss, where so many quiet and envied passengers were walking. Well, it appears to me as if I were again in that belfry. My senses seem again giddy and dazzled. The booming of that bell seems to press on my brain, and around me I no longer see that tranquil and even life which I had quitted, where other men walk still, except from a distance and beyond a terrible abyss. Thirty-sixth paper. It is a quarter past one o'clock. The following are my sensations at present. A violent pain in my head, my frame chilled, my forehead burning. Every time that I rise or bend forward, it seems to me that there is a fluid floating in my head, which makes my brain beat violently against the bone. I have convulsive startings, and from time to time my pen falls from my hand as if by a great galvanic shock. My eyes ache and burn, and I suffer greatly in all my limbs. In two hours and three-quarters hence, all will be cured. Thirty-seventh paper They say that it is nothing, that one does not suffer, that it is an easy death. Ah, then... What do they call this agony of six weeks, this summing up in one day? What, then, is the anguish of this irreparable day, which is passing so slowly and yet so fast? What is this ladder of tortures which terminates in a scaffold? Are they not the same convulsions where the life is taken away drop by drop, or intellect extinguished thought by thought? Thirty-eighth paper it is singular that my mind so often reverts to the king. Whatever I do, there is a voice within me which says, There is in this same town at the same hour, and not far from hence, in another palace, a man who also has guards to all his greats, 
a man alone like thee in the crowd, with this difference, that he is as high as thou art low. His entire life is glory, grandeur, delight. All around him is love, respect, veneration. The loudest voices become low in speaking to him, and the proudest heads are bent. At this moment he is holding a council of ministers, where all coincide with his opinions, or else he thinks of the chase to-morrow, or the ball for this evening, feeling certain that the fete will come, and leaving to others the trouble of, of his pleasures. Well, this man is of flesh and blood like thee, and in order that at this instant the scaffold should fall, and thou be restored to life, liberty, fortune, family, it would only be requisite for him to write his name at the foot of a piece of paper, or even that his carriage should meet thy fatal cart. And he is good, too, and perhaps would be good to do it, and yet it will not be done. Thirty-ninth paper. Well, then, let me have courage with death. Let me handle this horrid idea. Let me face it boldly. I will ask what it is, know what it demands, turn it in every sense, fathom the engine, and look beforehand into the tomb. I have speculated upon death and eternity, until my mind seems bewildered by its own horrible fantasies. My ideas wander, oh, for a priest, a priest who could instruct me. I must have a priest and a crucifix to embrace. Alas, here is the same priest again. Fortieth paper. After a time, I begged of him to let me sleep. I threw myself on the bed. I had a fullness of blood in my head, which made me sleep, my last sleep on earth. I had a horrible dream, from which I awoke in terror, shuddering and in agony. The chaplain was seated at the foot of my bed, reading prayers. "'Have I slept long?' I, required, I inquired of him. "'My son,' said he, "'you have slept an hour. They have brought your child, who is waiting in the next room. I would not allow them to awaken you.' "'Oh!' cried I, "'my darling child! Let them bring in my idolized child!' End of 40th paper.